0: Welcome to Startup Confidential, what industry insiders will never tell you that you need to know if you're building a consumer brand. With your host, best-selling author of Ramping Your Brand, Dr. James Richardson. Let's do this.
1: Welcome to episode 96, Beyond Predictable, Lessons from Beyond Meat for Founders. For me, the question was never, can a modern plant-based meat brand scale in American retail? Steady decline in beef consumption due to health-driven occasional substitution with vegetarian meals or just random snacking instead of dinner (laughs) set the fundamentals in motion years ago. The question was, can plant-based meat now become a meaningful share of U.S. meat consumption or global meat consumption? Can it become a multi-billion dollar sector? Could you even have a multi-billion dollar retail brand? Here's the rub. I know of no billion dollar food or beverage brand that doesn't have at least 25% household penetration, you know, and the lower one I'm referring to is because it's a yogurt brand that we all know well. <laughs> Most billion dollar food brands, folks, require 40% or more of U.S. households because they need a long tail of infrequent annual consumers to generate this kind of revenue they're having at once or twice a year. Yet current research from my friends at the Hartman Group suggests that only about 22% of U.S. households are even in play for plant-based meat. The rest of us are happy, glappy carnivores and omnivores. That's awfully tight. That's awfully tight. Unless you have a substantial proportion of that 22% who eat the products multiple times a week, like fans drink their favorite soft drink, then at premium prices you might have something interesting. The problem is that ingredients for cooking rarely meet that frequency hurdle that I just mentioned. Beyond maybe a tiny percent of households in little niches here or there. For example, kids under 12 do eat chicken nuggets multiple times a week, but wait, that's actually a prepared food, it's basically a heat and heat snack. It's not an ingredient at all. Beyond Meat specifically went in with a strategy to capture light, flexitarian consumption. Okay, but how frequent is that consumption, folks? And what does occasional meat skipping actually mean? I don't think Ethan Brown had a clue before he started raising capital for his business. And I don't think that Impossible had a clue either. Here's the landscape of meat aversion in America, courtesy of the folks at the Harvard Group. And their latest report, Modern Eating in America from 2022. So 77% of Americans happily eat meat and have no intent to change their behavior. These folks make fresh meat the $86 billion category that it is in the U.S. And they're not going to change. They eat meat every day. But some of them did try Beyond Meat due to the excessive hype in 2019. I was one of these people. Now, 1% of Americans are vegan and 2% are vegetarian. Believe it or not, many of these folks demand the price of Morningstar Farms at Walmart. And so they're not accessible to Beyond Meat, Impossible, or anybody else from the modern set who are going in at premium prices compared to their conventional alternatives. And I have not met a vegan or vegetarian in my years of consumer research who has any desire to have a veggie burger more than occasionally. The veggie burger, quite frankly, folks, is actually a known phase for new vegans and vegetarians coping with their transition. And they tend to consume them less often as they get more into veganism and vegetarianism and learn how to cook (laughs) and learn how to play with veggies. Beyond Meat can't rely on this 3% group anymore to produce meaningful volume, no way. Okay, then there's 2% who are pescatarians, okay? So they don't eat meat from land animals, but they love fishes. And 8% are white meat only, like my mother. No red meat, mainly due to health concerns with beef. And then 9% are flexitarian, mostly vegetarian and occasional meat eaters. The latter three groups form about 19% of households. And, you know, if added to the pie, could easily carry a brand like Beyond Meat to further growth. So theoretically, this is the absolute maximum additional addressable market out there. But see, today they don't support their fair share of meat dollars, not by any means, right? So if you're talking about getting market share out of meat, you really have to Stare at that group called the 77% who just don't care about you. In reality, though, most of these remaining fishy white meat flexitarian folks who are the real addressable market are actually priced out of brands like Beyond Meat right now. Probably 80 to 90% of them are just going to balk at the price alone. This is before they receive, obviously, some kind of an experience, sample, or an argument to look past the higher price point. That's a big burden for advertising. (laughs) Beyond Meat seems to be working aggressively to position itself as a healthy choice versus beef in the United States. I don't see how they're going to make that argument against chicken, but anyways. And although Ethan keeps waving the fantasy of price parity with ground beef, you know, the current target price reduction for Beyond Meat is 10% this year. That's impressive. The problem is right now, Beyond Burger Patties sell at Walmart for $7.96 per pound. That would be two packages of twin patties. So at 10% annual price reductions... My calculations suggest it would take Beyond Meat a minimum of six years to reach the US average price per pound of ground beef. Hmm... Might be possible if the gross margins weren't so toxic. But forget Beyond Meat's PL problems. The above data reveals the massive elephant in the room of plant-based meat. And it's a lumbering, snorting elephant that I have publicly warned about since at least 2018. It's the word occasionally. Let's make this word more concrete. Culturally, when consumers say they eat something occasionally, this means they consume it less than once a month, often just two to three times a year, usually coinciding with some seasonal event that's not part of your everyday life. Now, if this is true, it makes the flexitarians, who from the very beginning, with a stated target of Beyond Meat and Impossible Foods, makes them dramatically less productive for Beyond Meat or any other plant-based meat brand. And you really do have to capture them all. In my experience, premium price consumer brands repeatedly scale with very low household penetrations, right? So theoretically, you wouldn't need all 19% of folks at play if you could produce $100 million for every 2 to 3% of households, which has been the track record of premium brands as they scale. Maybe Beyond Meat you know, has 8 to 10% household penetration with its current U.S. retail business. That's my crude guess. This leaves only about nine to 11% of meat is left at most, if I'm right. And most of these households are not interested in paying the current premium for mother earth or for their health. They're just fine with Morningstar Farms on those rare occasions when they occasionally want plant-based meat.
0: Hey listeners, exponential growth involves more than a killer product, great fundraising, and a great team. You need superb analytics to ride the ramp. Dr. Richardson's latest online course is now available. Effective Consumer Marketing for Early-Stage Founders. You can find course pricing and details at premiumgrowthsolutions.com slash courses. And now, back to the episode.
1: So what went wrong with Beyond Meat? And what can we learn from it? Peaking at $464 million globally and $243 million in U.S. retail revenue is a wild success to your average food entrepreneur who never sees a million dollars in annual recurring revenue. But when much-hyped brands scale this fast, suddenly using primarily external capital and not their own PL, and and then start declining soon after passing that scale threshold, it almost inevitably means that someone hit the gas way too fast, did not understand their competitive positioning, their addressable market, or their core consumer, or all three, and simply lost their patience. This is when highly-funded, otherwise-strong brands Easily lose their way and get lost in a harried seals of Hail Mary inorganic growth moves, such as moving into international markets, 80 of them, adding nine product lines in two new temperature states just since the IPO. It's a lot of work. Collabs with Big Co product development, massive distraction. Anything basically to bring in cash. Most of Beyond Meat structural growth occurred in just one calendar year folks 2019 due to an enormous retail and food service shove. Before that the brand had been growing exponentially. best-in-class growth pace for premium priced brands though a little over distributed. But remember premium priced brands generally need to reposition themselves and recast their revenue model to relax pricing to keep growing steadily in the nine figures. It's a big set of challenges and these adjustments take years and can't be magically forced. when dealing with things like new ingredient sources, such as industrial pea protein, which is not as mature as industrial soy protein isolate. Sorry. (laughs) Beyond Meat was riding the skate ramp. That's what's so ironic. But then it got hasty or weird or both. Investors no doubt saw an easy IPO stock win in what would become the final days of easy IPOs, whether they pushed Ethan to go this route so they could cash out quickly you know, in a cynical move or honestly thought they were building the next billion dollar food brand is something we'll never really know. The sad irony is that the business had one brilliant idea. To tap that addressable market I was talking about is get plant-based meat out of the vegetarian <laughs> vegan freezer case and right next to the ocean of private label patties at every supermarket meat department. Go where the meat eyeballs are to capture all households interested in occasional non-meat burgers. <laughs> My money, folks, by the way, is on recruiting the white-meat-only folks to a simulated beef experience because they haven't had burgers in years and years, so it's a lot easier to claim sensory parity with a distant memory, now isn't it? Burgers are still the number one sandwich Americans consume. So, you know, ground beef equivalent and Beyond Burger, those make sense to me. And choosing a patty format was critical to boosting consumption rates after purchase, Because this is something that people are regularly eating already. It's a format of food that people want regularly, not occasionally. The history of Morningstar's successful frozen veggie burgers show that the burger form was absolutely the best way to capture that initial vegan vegetarian demand. When I first examined plant-based meat in 2012, I found... Don't quote me here. The sector was about eh, 400 million in scale or roughly 525 million in today's dollars. You know, and that's partly because Morningstar initially focused on harder core lifestyle vegetarians and vegans who feel compelled to participate in all American burger rituals in their homes during the summer just without the beef. And they don't want to be excluded. So they still bring their frozen patties to their friend's party. The original purchase driver, though, here was neither personal health nor Ethan's favorite, you know, methane gas reduction. It prevented animal cruelty in their minds, and that's still the driver that creates the heaviest usage in the plant-based space overall. Many investors seem to have forgotten this basic fact. Call it the Bambi effect. Now today, the meat substitute market in the U.S. is about $1.5 billion in size as of 2012. So that's almost three times the height I recall in my memory from 2012. So you know, obviously there was room for some kind of growth, but in the end, probably not Another frothy one billion, a lot of it being curiosity trial. Beyond Meat created its own hype cycle, which we can safely assume led to a massive amount of curiosity trial, huge amounts of it. And this was not the strategically intended light usage, which implies at least eating it twice a year, right? At least you're a repeat consumer. Encouraging too much one-off trial from haters, honestly, is what happened who had no intention of adding veggie burgers to their diet, did help the IPO and kept the stock price roaring for about two years as the business kept growing. You know, and it was helped in part by the COVID-19 surge in all CPG categories. There is such a thing, though, as too much PR for a fast-growing brand. So turbocharging weak purchase intent trial, curiosity trial, through constant appearances on national news outlets, can actually backfire for folks by creating a, a tsunami of trial, That masks the underlying core demand for the product, which isn't as strong. You know, what's weird is the brand's top line was doing perfectly in 2018 without all the complexity of additional product lines and servicing 80 international markets. The SGA today at Beyond Meat, just to give you an idea, is out of all proportion with what an efficient $400 million brand should have, 56% of net revenue. Lay's has a $3.6 billion business in the US with only five product formats. And they're all from the same base ingredients and far fewer staff that's efficient by going public in 2019 beyond meat found easy money yes but it brought on in itself enormous pressure to prematurely solve its negative EBITDA situation under quarterly scrutiny this first yielded a flurry of rushed product launches to mask problems with the core UPCs and now a furious attempt to use global markets to boost cash flow and service the enormous debt the company took on in 2021. I believe that Beyond Meat's IPO will be seen eventually as its own path to ruin, and that a possible a private company may actually survive in retail. There was room for growth. The question is, how do you mechanically get there, and how quickly, and under what level of profit pressure? IPOs are very risky because they expose you to constant quarterly profit scrutiny which for a very expensive money losing business model that requires probably 500 million dollars in revenue to get profitable this is not what you want to be doing it distracts you and it causes you to do a whole bunch of things that don't help you boost the core and they don't buy you the time to get to a profitable scale beyond meets ipo in my opinion is not how you want to scale an innovative but very low profit brand i believe you have to do it the kind way That's all I got, folks. And as always, be safe out there.
0: Thanks for listening. Remember, Dr. Richardson has loads of resources for founders at premiumgrowthsolutions.com. And when you're on his site, don't forget to take his founder's quiz and see if you're ready to ride the skate ramp of exponential growth.